Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this very special day where you remind us again of what you've done for us through your son. And Father, I pray that uh, we would get more than just uh, knowledge of this today, but that you would speak to us, that you would reveal to us your truth and that you would bring us your true life. I pray that we would not be the same knowing what you've done for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, thank you, uh, Fraser, for reading from us. Uh, Mark 15, verse, verses 16 to uh, 41. We um, hear there of this horrible event of what happened to Jesus. That he uh, was mocked, firstly, uh, by the um, Jews... By God's own people, they uh, they told lies about him, trying to say that he was a sinner. Do you see the irony of that? The perfect, sinless Son of God, they said he's a sinner, and they beat him. His own people. He was their God, and then the Romans. Also, the Gentiles mocked him, belittled him, and punched him. He was, or is still, the one true Son of God. And human beings, sinful human beings created by him, struck him in the face. Can you believe the, just the sin and the treason in that? The horror of that. It's amazing when you see and think that here is Jesus serving humanity up unto death and he is the one who is perfect. And he, he serves them. We, we live in a world where uh, humanity, us, all of us, seek glory and honour, don't we? Just when someone runs you down, just think about how angry you get. What's the most important thing in your life? Your honour? Your glory? When someone maybe tells a lie, it's okay to You can tell lies about others, that's fine. But if someone does that for you, yeah? We seek riches and popularity and we spend so much of our time and our thoughts justifying ourselves. Humanity, actually, it's worth thinking how much time do you spend building your own little kingdom? Humanity does that. And here is the one true king of all serving to the point of death. Okay. What you've got here, you see, is the one final attempt of humanity to overthrow the Creator. Right from the beginning, when sin uh, began in the garden... The devil said to the first couple, if you eat this, you'll be like God. You can, why have God and you below him when you can be above God? You can be like God. Which is an obscene thought when you realise that God had just made them and everything else. And they're thinking, hey, we can be above him. Why listen to somebody else? I'm the king of my own pile. That is the heart of sin. 
And yet that's not the heart of who God is, the God who serves, the God who loves. So here they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. It's called the place of the skull because the, the hillside itself in the right light resembles a skull with the limestone pattern in it. Outside of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was God's holy city. It was a place where people come to meet with God. It was a place where the temple was, which symbolised the presence of God in the midst of his people, in the midst of his city, in the midst of his country. And the temple was a place where sacrifice happened, animals were sacrificed for the sins of people. And then the reason that that sacrifice happened was so people could meet with God, so they could commune with God. You can't commune with God if you've got sin. Just remember that. That's still the same today. If you have any sin, any at all, you can't talk to God. Right. That's, that's painful, isn't it? Seeing that we're all sinners. So what must have to happen is God has to do something to make us pure and holy. And that's what Jesus brings about here. But he is sent outside of the city of Jerusalem, outside the camp, as they call it, outside the city wall, to the place of uncleanness, the place where the rubbish, where the, where the lepers are, the place of defilement, the place where people were put to death, the place of punishment. Because you see, with Jerusalem, God's people rejected him, rejected their own king. They rejected God himself. And he was removed from the city to the place of defilement. As they crucified him, they offered him a mixture of wine and myrrh. Now what this is, is it's kind of like a, a sedative to dull people down. Because you can imagine that if someone was holding down your hands to nail it, you wouldn't do that willingly. So they actually sedated uh, men when they were crucified, or women as well, uh, to actually be able to control them. It wasn't to help their pain relief, it was just to stop them fighting back. And Jesus refused that. He willingly laid out his hands to be crucified. He willingly went to be nailed. And we're told by Luke that at that time he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is willingly being crucified and he cries out, Father, forgive them. Crucifixion was actually commonplace back then. It was um, something that happened quite often um, and particularly in years to come, there were literally thousands of crucifixions. Uh, it was a very painful death and one of the reasons that they had such a painful death was as a deterrent from crime. So what you would see is the person's charge, a thing above their head, nailed on, thief. So the idea is if you see that and you see someone suffering like that, you wouldn't be a thief. That makes good sense, doesn't it? Um, and that's what the other two thieves who were crucified, in the same way that Jesus was, were, um, would have had above their heads, thieves. But that's not what Jesus had above his head. He had a sign that said, King of the Jews. I think it was in a number of different languages, so anyone could understand it. Kind of, in one sense, Pilate did that as a mocking, 
But the reality was, he was the king of the Jews. Actually, he, he was the king of all of humanity. Now, if you think about that, if the charge says thief, that it means this man is a thief, he is guilty as charged. But if the charge above Jesus' head says king of the Jews, and he was the king of the Jews, and he was being crucified for that reason, then that charge doesn't stand against him. That stands against humanity. Where all humanity is found guilty. Guilty of what? High treason. Overcoming, overthrowing, an attempt to overthrow the king of all. To be like God. He was crucified with two criminals. As um, Isaiah 53, the part that uh, we read a bit earlier, said... Now, we must not think, though, that in this, Jesus is a helpless victim. He willingly laid out his hands. At one point, when Pilate was speaking to him, Pilate said, you better answer me, because you know I've got the power to crucify you. And Jesus said, you haven't got any power unless it was given to you. Uh, You're not the one leading this show. There's only one person leading here, and I'm fulfilling God's will, and I'm going to the very place that God has ruled from the beginning. Jesus is in complete control. So in Isaiah 53.10 we heard, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Whose will was it? God's. It was God's will. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, so God is dealing with the rebellion of humanity, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Jesus would see many follow him to eternal life. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. Justify. What does justify mean? I'm just going to use my example that I always use. So, so apologies to those who hear it lots, but it doesn't matter. It's good. But if you, if you actually, I've got it right here. You can see my document I'm reading from. You notice that down this side it's a nice straight line but over here it's kind of all in and out. Now you can, if you've got a, a, a Windows computer, you can do this really cool thing. You just press Control A and that and all will be highlighted. I know shortcuts. Makes me very smart. Then press Control J and, and it's called Justify. And what will happen is immediately that line will be the same as that line. It spreads out the words and they're both, both the margins are right. God's character is in complete consistency with his law. He is straight. He is perfect in every way. If we were to read all of God's laws, it should kill us because we fail at every one. We are wonky. We are all over the place. But when we are justified by God... What happens is he brings us in exact line with him. Our character and his character are brought into one through a gift of Jesus Christ. He justifies many. He makes us like him. But what we can't do is justify ourselves. If I told you the law of God, do not lie, that's one one, one little law. You cannot, and humanity does not have the power to say, right, I'm going to try really, really hard and not lie, because we are full of manipulation. 
Our motives are all over the place. We are sinners to the core. We need somebody to put us in line and we can't do that ourselves. We can't justify ourselves with regard to one law, let alone any of the, uh, any others. We are full of sin and he justified many. What a gift that is, huh? And he will bear their iniquities. Jesus himself bears our iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with transgressions. He was numbered with criminals. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He didn't just bear the sin. Well, he sorry. He then prayed, Father, forgive them. He didn't just take the sin, he took the punishment for sin, which is the wrath of God. So here we see God's very nature. He is gracious and loving, right? To a point that we can never imagine because, if, let's face it, if someone stands and insults and uh, runs us down, is love and grace where we go to? Sometimes we can even put up for that for about three minutes. And then love and grace is not where we go. It is self-defence, gossip and anger. He is pure love and he serves up unto death. But we also see he's more than love. He is absolutely burning holiness and anger for all sin. If you were a person who accepted any sin at all, if God were to say... Look, I know, ladies, you've done a few things wrong, but I'm not I'm the kind of person who just lets that go. That's called corruption and unholiness. God never lets a single sin go unpunished. He is holy and his anger burns against all sin. All sin. So, he is pure holiness and pure love. In one character. And there you see Jesus bearing the holiness of God, bearing the anger of God against our sin. In love and grace. Okay. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. So you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. But you see, he would not save himself. He was there to save the people. He put others before himself. And at the very moment that he was saving them, they were abusing him for that thing that he was doing. We sang a song a minute ago about the darkness of the human heart. Do you believe that's what we're really like? It's a very dark place. At that moment, he was destroying the temple, the old system the system of law, the system of the belief that we can get right with God. He was crushing it and he was building a new place where man could meet with God, his body. The chief priests and the teachers of the law said to themselves, he saved others, but he can't save himself. But he would not. He was doing the Father's will and he was one-minded. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
He was the king and he would not stop from doing the father's will. Even the other criminals insulted him until one had a change of mind later on. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that that's the one time in all of the Gospels that Jesus does not address God as Father? He calls him my God. Why is that? Because at that moment, under the sin of us, our sin, and the sin of the world, he had been separated and abandoned, and he was at that moment in complete loneliness apart from God, forsaken by God himself. Jesus had only ever, for eternity, had a perfect relationship with God, perfect intimacy, perfect love at every moment. And here is him abandoned, forsaken by the Father. He is under the curse of God. Not just a curse as in a few bad words, he is under the. Uh, he is an abomination in one sense to God Himself. He is so uh, under the sin of the world. He is cursed. So Isaiah fifty three verse four and five says, "Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him, afflicted. He was afflicted by God Himself. He was pierced for our transgressions." I I could change the emphasis of that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Can you see that? He is taking what we deserve. The Old Testament had said, anyone who is hung on a tree or on a pole or on a cross, is under God's curse. Cursed by God. Galatians 3 said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole. So, he redeemed us. He brought us back by becoming the curse that we should have been. Or 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, who never sinned, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. For us, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness is actually, righteousness in Greek is the same word as justification. They're a word group that all the same thing. And we said we were justified so that, you see, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, straight with him, into his character. He received the full wrath of God for sin, our sin. And then he said, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar to drink. He thirsted. His life was completely dry, completely without God because he was taking our place there. He was experiencing death, not just physical death because physical death is not the worst. We will all die one day. That is not the worst. 
The worst is spiritual death, spiritual separation, especially when that's for eternity. That is something we no one wants to be at. You know, that's the understatement of the, of the century. You don't want to be in hell for eternity. Because the worst place about it is this eternal separation from God. It is the place of dryness, of thirst. And Jesus comes to us and he gives us living water. Because he took our thirst for us. Sin is no light thing. Sin is no small thing. And then with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. John, who was uh, with the, the, the women close to the cross, he records some of the words that Jesus said. He said, It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did you hear that word, Father? In full trust, he was able to die. The work of salvation had been finished, completed, accomplished. He'd reached his goal. And he was happy to give his life into the Father's hands. By the way, he cried out in a loud voice. If you know the mechanics of uh, crucifixion, there it comes with asphyxiation. You don't cry out in a loud voice when you're about to die. Because the reason Jesus died is because he gave up his life. His life was not taken from him. He was ruling over this event. He was in complete control here. He said in Rome, sorry, John 10, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one can take my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He didn't die because he was defeated. He died because he had finished the work of the Father and he handed his spirit into the Father's hands and the Father raised him from the dead. We'll talk about that in a couple of days' time, huh? And it says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain which had separated, it was the place you see inside there represented the presence of God. And outside there you needed the sacrifices and you couldn't pray without the sacrifices. But even then, God was separated by what? In a sense, by our sin. But Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, that's by his death, by a new and living way, open to us through the curtain, that is his body. His body became the, the mediator point between God and man. Our sin separated us and he became the mediator. A mediator is often called a priest. When we have one priest who can intercede with us and take us into the presence of God. You don't need any other priests in this world. You don't need another person to stand between you and God. You don't need a pastor. You don't need any of this. You can come straight to God through one mediator who is Jesus Christ. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He built a new temple which is the new place 
where we can meet with God. And the old temple became pointless. We don't need it. We don't need to go to Israel to meet God now. You don't need to build a new temple in Jerusalem out of stones. You have a living Jesus Christ, you come to him. He is the temple that we come to. Do you get what I'm saying? We have free access to God, the Holy God, even in Dirambandi today. Do you believe that? In Dirambandi. Wow, God's even here. You see, when the temple thing was torn in two, it wasn't just that we could walk in and see God. It was that God... His presence we, we, was no longer confined to a meeting place somewhere else. We can meet with him anywhere. Laying in bed, anywhere. Out in the paddock. And then the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the son of God. Now this centurion, uh, centurion is uh, like a, a leader in the army, over a hundred people. That's where you get the century type thing. He's got a hundred soldiers under him and probably he's the guy who oversees with a hundred other soldiers crucifixions. That's what he does for a living. He's kind of execution centurion. He'd seen a lot of people die. I doubt he was in the habit of saying, oh, that one was the son of God. Oh, that one was the son of God. He had seen something different in Jesus that he had not seen in anyone else. Okay? He had seen him lay out his hands. He had heard him say, Father, forgive him. He had seen him die in a way where he gave over his life to the Father. He'd heard him say it was finished. He had seen all that and he says, Surely this man is the Son of God. So, what we're saying today is this. God took, Jesus took God's wrath for us. He bore it willingly. He gave us his perfect righteousness. We no longer need to go to a temple in Jerusalem. God has a plan to save an evil, rebellious world. What are we going to do with that? We've just actually been opened up to the most important piece of truth that we will ever know in our lives. Do you understand? I started by saying we spend a lot of time in our lives seeking all sorts of glories and all sorts of honours and building up, you know, homes so that we can get old and then we have to buy a smaller home. <laughs> building heaven on earth. That's what people spend their lives doing, isn't it? Building heaven on earth. Because we have this thought that it's all about us. And if we want heaven on earth, what we really want to be is God on earth, ruling over our heaven on earth. And to have this own little kingdom, this own little area which we're in complete control of, that no one can upset. And what God does sometimes in his grace is he comes over and he tips over our lives and we face hardships and the car breaks down again and, the, and something goes wrong with the house and the hot water service bursts and our kids have problems with their relationships and all this stuff goes wrong. God comes and, and, and he's just reminding us gently, you're not God of all. Okay? There is one thing we need in our life because we often 
become so focused on pathetic, trifling things and we put all of our heart and all of our time and all of our money and effort into them. And there is one truth that we need to know and that is that Jesus is the Son of God and that we are sinners and we are helpless and hopeless without Him. And if we continue to live in that helplessness and hopelessness, we will end up in spiritual death. But when we make an admission that Jesus is the Son of God and that we are helpless and hopeless without Him, then our whole life gets turned on its head. And everything that was important before becomes pointless. And everything that become, was pointless before becomes central. Jesus is everything. What we end up being when we come to Jesus is we end up realising and putting this world in its right perspective. Yeah. We are not Christians who want money and pleasure and, and all that sort of rubbish. We are those who give up our lives, who die to ourselves and go, as Hebrews says this, about the place of defilement outside the camp. It says, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. So Jesus suffered outside the city gate and he says, let us then go outside, go to him outside the camp. Let's not wait in this holy place where we think we've got God under control. Let's go outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. We don't have a city built in, in, in this world that will last. But we are looking for a city that is to come, the holy city of God. Will we lower ourselves to the point where we say we need to be saved? Or will we continue to try and live our lives as God or at least come to church and have a God who is there to give us all that glory and kudos and love and money and everything else? Or will we go outside to the place of disgrace, outside the camp, to the place where we admit we have sinned, we have failed, we deserve God's punishment. We need Him and we have nothing without Him. It'll take a work of the Holy Spirit to lift our eyes from this world to Jesus. But it is the most important issue that you will ever face. What I'm saying is, I don't want you to go home from here today without addressing this issue headlong. And if it hurts... If this is confronting to you, then address it. Because we are either going to be brought low or we're going to be really brought low. We will be humbled by the cross and we will come to him and accept him as Lord and Saviour or we will be brought low for eternity. What this world offers is like an Easter egg about that big, which is filled with cyanide. It's got chocolate on the outside. Gee, I love chocolate. I'm going to eat that one. Yeah. But you come to Jesus, you get eternal life. Dead to this world, but alive to God. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would confront us with your truth today. That we would come to Jesus. 
We thank you for what he's done for us. We thank you that he has done what we could never do. We thank you that he has borne our sins. And Father, I pray that you would confront us with our own glory, that you would show up for what it is so that we could lay it aside and accept you. That we would go outside the city gate to Jesus in that place of disgrace. And Father, that we would happily sit with disgrace in this world because of the eternal life that you've given us through Jesus. Father, make this real to us by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.